agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government has the government love. The government has the government love. The government Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, well, my conservative and libertarian counterparts, Cleveland area attorney and defender of freedom, Jay Carson, as well as Oklahoma Christian University political scientist, Trey Orndorff. Hey, guys. Hey, good morning, Mike. So, so, how are you? How are you? How are you doing, uh, Troll? Start with you, Trey. How are you doing this week? Listen, this was this is the time of year when all the students are graduating, and <laughs> yeah. so I am just happy that I survived this week. Yeah, I hear you. I, we're we're a little later in the schedule than you are, so I'm kind of going through this uh, in, in the following week. But it's it's a it's a rough time. How about you, Jay? Uh, happier than Madison Cawthorn with a Victoria's Secret gift card, Mike. Oh, oh, that's a good one. I <laughs> like that. Oh, yeah, fun party guy. There we go. All right. Well, well, you know, um, before we get going today, I wanted to uh, acknowledge that I was wrong and Jay was right about something. It doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it's unique enough that I want to point it out, you know. Um, but uh, listeners will recall that a while ago, actually in uh, October of 2021, we made some inflation predictions. And I said by mid-April 2022, I bet that inflation would be under 4%. And Jay said, nope, going to be higher. And Jay was absolutely right about that. And I could say, well, you know, I didn't uh, I didn't account for X, Y and Z, but it really doesn't matter because the prediction was the prediction. Jay was right about that. I was wrong about that. And it looks like Jay will also be right about the mid-July 2022 predictions where I said at that point under 3%. Jay said, nope, going to be higher. And I would be stunned if I didn't turn out to be wrong about that, which uh, uh, clearly I did not factor in Omicron or some other and other things as well. China's China's uh, zero, zero COVID policy and all kinds of other things and certainly not a war in Ukraine. But there you go. The world's a crazy place. And Jay made more allowance for that than I did. And he was right on both of those predictions. So kudos to you, Jay, for being Thank right. You. Now, of course, I'll point out that Jay's still wrong about the China giving aid, material aid to Russia. Uh, and let's, I think we all hope that Jay stays wrong on that one, certainly, but uh, we will see. All right. So today we're going to be talking about a bunch of things that we're going to do around two: DeSantis versus Disney, Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter and what that might mean. More on Russia and Ukraine, uh, Title 42 and the border, the Supreme Court are hearing a big religious expression case. And if we have time for it, our uniquely stupid last decade, or has it been? Anyway, we will get to all of that in just one minute. Okay, so last week on the show, Jay and I discussed Florida's move to revoke Disney's special authority in areas it owns and operates in the state after the company came out against what's been commonly referred to as the don't say gay law, though the formal title is the parental rights and education law. Now, our discussion generated uh, a lot of listener questions and comments, and in reviewing them and thinking about that conversation, I thought it would be good if we were maybe clearer on both the law itself and our views of Disney's and the state of Florida's reaction. 
And Trey also took part in these exchanges on our Discord channel, which is why I asked him to join us today for, for a number of reasons, because I thought he offered some unique and valuable perspectives, as well as sort of, I think, illustrating what I see as an important distinction between libertarian thought and conservative thought. Uh, and so we'll, we'll certainly get into that. But I felt like the best place to start here would be with the legislation itself which Governor Ron DeSantis signed into law at the end of March last month. And the, the measure uh, of the law that's been really the focus of all the controversy, because it's part of a larger parental rights thing, but the part that we've been focused on is as follows. Classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade three, or in a manner that is not age-appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards. Now, what that means at a bare minimum is that teachers or other school officials can't talk about those topics in the classroom with kids from kindergarten through grade three. And last week, Jay argued that that seemed reasonable to him, and actually I'm inclined to agree uh, about that. The first point I think we can discuss here is that the language actually of the legislation expands on that. It's not just that, because that last part about age appropriateness and state standards gives the state's Department of Education the authority to determine well, what's appropriate instruction on sexual orientation or gender identity for all students in Florida's public K-12 schools. And that's going to be uniform across the state, meaning that local school districts and school boards will be forced to uh, to adhere to those state mandates for everything relating to gender and sexual orientation. And the Florida Department of Education has until June 30th of 2023 to write those specific um, appropriateness regulations. So so let's start with that. And I guess I'll, I'll start with um, you on this, Trey. Are you at all bothered by what seems to me to be a broad grant of regulatory authority to a state agency and as you know, Florida is a very diverse state uh, and that imposes a yet-to-be-determined universal mandate on all the local school districts. You know, you had introduced the conversation talking about what we had been talking about on Slack for, our, uh, for those of us who have the executive support producer level and then for what our conversations on Discord was. And, and, and I guess the answer, the, the short answer is, yeah, it's problematic. Um, and, you know, you... For example, you know, you were ceding to Jay a little bit uh, about suggesting here that you were okay with the K through three um, ban, potentially, depending on how it came down the, the pike. And so just to give an example here, I think we would have some space between us because that's something uh, that I would want to have part of my uh, children's uh, curriculum, uh, although I wouldn't want to push it on somebody else. And, and I think that kind of sums up part of the problem that we're seeing here with both of these, both the bill and then the, and then the, the fallout. Bill. Okay. Jay. Um, I look to me, you know, again, I'm glad we're going back to the bill, um, uh, as it, it's written because there are a couple things that are pretty clear. One, it's classroom instruction. Um, uh, and, and it, it specifies those, uh, those grade levels. And I would say, look, as much as I'm not crazy about throwing out, um, authority to to outside regulatory agencies stating setting state standards um in education and curriculum that's kind of what state boards of education do um 
right? And I can, I, I've often argued that they probably do too much of it. Uh, and I, I'd stand by that, but I, I don't see this as, uh, listen, if you're going to determine what's the appropriate standard, uh, you know, these, that would be the, the place to do it. That's the place where it's typically done. Uh, I'd assume that their state department or state board of education does the same thing with its reading curriculum, its math curriculum with, with all these other things that determines what's appropriate for what grade. Uh, and what are the, the basic standards that, that uh, ought to be applied? What benchmarks the kids, you know, should kids be meeting by, by certain grades and so forth? So to me, that, that doesn't strike me as an overbroad um, uh, uh, grant of, of, uh, of power to administrative agencies. And I'm, I'm someone who's, who's sensitive to that. Um, that's not to say that it's, it's not possible that that uh, power could be abused, right? Uh, but but that there would be remedies for that, and I, I think as it's as it's written, I don't see it as a as a facial problem, if you but will. It, it seems to me that one could make a distinction, and I, and I understand what you're saying, and certainly I agree. There are state standards for all sorts of different topics, whether it's history, English, what have you. But I'm wondering if there's an important distinction, a meaningful distinction, to be drawn between standards concerning the minimum of what the schools in the state must instruct students in and bans on things that that local school districts cannot instruct students in. It feels to me like, yes, they're both state standards, but it feels to me like there's an important difference there. Uh, what do you think, Trey? Well, I mean, I think part of it is, and, that, and that's why it gets branded the don't say uh, gay bill is, so no one, you know, you're not going to encounter anyone who is a negative number in the universe, right? <laughs> like, you know, so if we have standards about math, that's a fundamentally different category uh, than talking about standards of what human behavior is and like the people that might be in your actual classroom. Um, so again, to kind of pull back just from the question of the, you know, sh should a state re regulatory body be the one to make these determinations about education? I think I'll probably disagree with both of you, but let's just put it back. I would make a distinction here that, in this particular instance, what we're saying is, is that there are certain kinds of people, including K through three people, because they are people um, who, if we take the science seriously, uh, means that we they cannot have a conversation about what they, in fact, are. Well, again, Trey, I, I jump in and say this isn't about having conversations. This is about classroom instruction. Well, you know, and I think that's that that's a good point. But then that, I think that raises the question to me. Well, what does that mean now that maybe that means that certainly means at a minimum formal lessons. Right. But this classroom instruction and I can see classroom instruction construed to meaning, well, any sort of statement made by the perfect by the teacher, sorry, in front of the entire class. Uh, like referring to a same-sex partner answering a question from a kid who wants to be referred to as they as opposed to he or she or something like that. And, and certainly, even if that's a judgment call sort of thing, the way that the legislation is structured is it gives these parents, a, you know, a course of action, a clear, there's this magistrate that has to be hired at the expense of the school district to adjudicate these things. And so, I mean, it seems to me that this legislation was designed to be intentionally vague so that it would have a chilling effect on a certain type of speech. And to me, that's, that's fundamentally problematic and very different from state standards saying that, well, students will 
be exposed to will learn at least this. This is a state standard saying, well, students will not be allowed to be exposed to this. And that that to me is is troublesome. Uh, what do you what do you think? I, I'm jumping in here. I, I would yeah. I'll go back to the, the, the state standards, though. What the state standards are supposed to uh, deal with uh, uh, is um, what is age appropriate for each grade level. Right. Right. So it's not it's not a, a forbidding. Now, I, look, I think if if you were if there was some state standard uh, and they said, listen, it is uh, inappropriate to say the word gay or to refer to someone's sexuality or or anything like that at the high school level. Well, that I think would be would be ludicrous, right? Uh, and I think people ought to, you know, say that that's ludicrous. If if you if you can't say, hey, you know what? Uh, in in your high school English class, uh, Oscar Wilde was pretty gay. Um, uh, you know that I, I think that's that's a that's a that's a big issue um, because I think that is perfectly appropriate discussion uh, uh, in in at that level. Um, but getting into that stuff at K through three is is not and i'd point out other things in terms of appropriateness of of topic presentation uh i would i would gather that everyone would agree that teaching about the holocaust is absolutely appropriate and necessary um how you do that though uh i think there's different sort of age appropriateness uh uh ways to talk about that right um i think if you present for example a lot of the facts of the holocaust as they are to kindergartners, uh, that's horrific. Um, if you have that same discussion and, and uh, uh, you know, read the diary of Anne Frank in uh, the seventh, eighth, you know, ninth grade, something like that, um, that's something else. Uh, so I, I, I think it's, it's not a matter of saying you can't address these topics. It's that these topics ought to be addressed in, an, in a manner that's appropriate to the grade in which it's being, uh, which they're being introduced. And so, and again, I think that's, yeah, I there's nothing that. particularly well, okay. oh. different about that. Go, go ahead, same, thing, same thing with, with history, right? I mean, I'm sure um, uh, there is, uh, you know, one one version of, uh, you know, of, of our, our history stories that we tell uh, when we're teaching about them in the very, very uh, young levels, right? Pilgrim's got on the boat, came over. Um, when you get into, you know, later grades and you can get into more complexity, uh, more adult, you know, themes, uh, if you will, uh, then I think that's appropriate to teach that then. So. Well, I, I want to get into that because I, I think you make an excellent point, Jay, but I, I want to kind of throw it back in a way and, and see a response because I think part of what you're suggesting here, and this is one of the other things we were talking about online, was so I like that you went to the idea of, say, like the Holocaust or the history because you're, what you're effectively saying is, is that there are difficult moral issues that right. need to be handled. Or slavery would be another carefully. Yeah. Yeah, with children, the, the the I think the problem here really hinges then on our expectations of, of sexual morality as it pertains to the LGBTQ community, because I think what, what I what I would suggest to you is that where you make that connection to say that the LGBTQ community falls into a similar category of we have to be careful because it's a, you know, a potentially fraught issue. I think for somebody from the LGBTQ community, what they're going to be saying is, well, no, that's just, that's as simple as like, hey, I exist and here I am. And, and, and so that's, I think, part of the problem here is, is the question that this all hinges on the underlying ethical principle 
of whether or not these behaviors are divergent morally or not. If they are, then I think that your argument holds a lot of water. If they aren't, then I think it, I, th- I think it loses some of some of its uh, steam. Mm-hmm. I, 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 you, can, yeah. you can jump in. I, I have a response. No, I, yeah, I, I mean, I I certainly would agree with that in general. So since uh, since Trey stated that argument, if you have a kind of response to that, yeah, please go ahead. Yeah, well, I think let, let's put it this way. I, I think that the idea, um, uh, the of, of um, the lesson about where babies come from, right? Um, heterosexual sexuality uh that's certainly not divergent from from norms i would say but uh you certainly don't want to be teaching uh sex to that that you know <laughs> that sort of sort of lesson in the k through 3 level uh that hey this is how it works mom does this and dad you know dad does this and um my god no uh you know it's it's just sort of this this goes back to maybe sort of a, a just base conservative thing about look we we don't teach our kids about um, young kids about sexuality or present it in any sort of graphic way it, it's you know the, again the appropriate lesson would be to the extent that there needs to be a lesson in this as well when you know when when a, a you know daddy loves mommy very much and you know they have a baby that kind of thing right um, but it's it's completely different and that's so what I'm saying is. There are plenty of, of uh, sexual behaviors that would not be divergent that are pretty much the, you know, the norm. Um, but still, it, they shouldn't be taught at that level. Well, um, well then. And, and again, yeah. is it, I'd say it certainly is it appropriate later. Yeah. Well, but, you know, I, I, I'm wondering if this is uh, putting it in, in the in libertarianist terms. Uh, is this a big government solution in search of a problem? Because Florida law already banned sex education until fifth grade, a lot of the stuff you're talking about there. So, I mean, certainly a lot of folks on the left, and, and I'm one of them, would argue that this is just basically a, a agenda issue, a fake moral panic that's been uh, aroused on the right, and particularly by Ron DeSantis, who wants to get that sort of, you know, conservative vote as he eyes the presidency. And it's uh, essentially something that is not an issue that they made into an issue to generate some anger and and fear and political capital. And gosh, it's sure how it seems to me. What do you think, Trey? Well, I think part of it, I think you're right, but I think the bit of it here is, is that there's a big I mean, I think we should just be open about it. There's a big portion of the United States population uh, that sees these things as being bad and threatening. And so uh, whether or not this particular bill is useful doesn't matter because it taps in. And it's, it's a position take by DeSantis in an ultimate president's run uh, that taps into a moral fear about the LGBTQ community. Um, you know, it, this is something, I mean, it's not something I can go into a lot of detail here, but it's something that he has even played out here on my campus. Um, and so, uh, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, and, and to your earlier point about the, you know, is this the, you know, government looking for a, a problem? I think the answer is, well, yeah, I mean, one of the, you know, I think Jay and I are having a useful, I mean, we probably have a difference of opinion on what we would want our children to be having at different age groups. And that's amazing and wonderful. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. The problem though becomes is, is when we want to have a standardized form of how we're going to have education, well, now Jay and I are going to have to in some point either agree or disagree, and that's going to take place out in politics. Uh, and so 
there's going to be winners and losers in that. And I think one of the things we have to be careful about is, is the more things that you put into state hand, that means you're going to be creating potentially moral losers who then miss out on the system because we, we've granted that to the monopoly power. Yeah, and I guess that goes back to last week where I felt like if these decisions, if these mandates on what cannot be taught are going to be made, they should be made at the local level. So that, because like I said, Florida is a very diverse state, and I can understand where community standards and viewpoints, say somewhere in the panhandle, might be very different from those standards in, I don't know, in, you know, the uh, the Miami the Miami Beach area, right? And so anything goes there, Mike. Well, you know, I mean, you know, I, I, but my point is, is that's the whole, that's the fundamentally conservative argument, yeah. right? No, and no, no. and I, look, I would first, I, I want to um, respond to Trey in that. I mean, but wouldn't it, wouldn't it be better in in the, the better libertarian position to say, listen, the government really, uh, the government being the schools, uh, ought not to be weighing in on questions of. Uh, people's sexuality, the morality thereof, right? I, I mean, I think that's. Well, I, 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 I guess what I would suggest. Schools, I mean, we really like you to stay out of this area. Uh, I, I don't see that as as the government flexing its muscles uh, in terms of of taking over things. I think it, I see it as the opposite. Is look, there's concerns about parents who want to be able to uh, teach their kids uh, at the pace they want to teach their kids, and and and. Um, uh, especially on these issues, which which are sensitive, um, and and there are there are concerns, and I, I think you're you're right that there there are concerns out there that, um, you know, it's sort of like you, you used to be like, you know, you you don't want the, the argument used to be that, um, you know, well, schools ought to teach uh, sex ed stuff, and again, this is a little different than sex ed, and Mike, you're 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 right to point that out about the there's differences. Uh, there's a law already, and, and this may well be sort of a, a, a solution in, in search of a problem. But I think there is a, a big concern. Um, there was a, a, a study that I saw recently about polls saying it was somewhere in the neighborhood of um, like middle school kids that like 40 percent uh, are identifying as some non, uh, non-binary gender. Um, and you can say, well, wow, that's great. Look how far we've come. Um, but as as my concern has, has been for a while, and look, I had kids who went through this, and we went through the, the thing of um, uh, my kids literally said, half the kids in my class, because uh, we're a little more uh, progressive than the norm, um, uh, identify as, as some other gender. Uh, to me, I, 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 I'm not entirely sure that that's a healthy trend. Uh, the fact that it has blown up this quickly uh, in, in, uh, over just the past couple years, uh, it, it indicates to me that it might be something else other than, than, um, well, uh, to that point, yeah, yeah and you're right. The numbers are up. There, there is an actual concerns there, there that this is an issue out there. Parents would like to be in control of that issue rather than having um, uh, teachers uh, or the school system be in control of that, this issue. It, you're right. I mean, the number though, wasn't anywhere close to 40 something percent. It was like uh, 20. Low, low 20s. And that's an important distinction. But, you know, I, I think you can argue that, well, this is happening because people are being indoctrinated or something like that. I find that to be kind of a, uh, a ridiculous argument. But, you know, it's well, not well, I, think, I think indoctrinated is a strong word. I, I don't I don't buy that. But, you know, a, a, a parallel that I've seen uh, recently is like it's, it's interesting to notice over time by birth cohort, the percentage of people who uh, who are 
left-handed who see themselves and identify as left-handed, right? And it went, all of a sudden, it went strikingly up starting from the birth cohort, like born in the 1960s and 1970s. And it's because schools stopped forcing lefties to write with their right hand. And then it kind of, it kind of averaged out at around like 11, 12%, which is where it's been for quite a while now. And so it seems to me that another perfectly reasonable argument is we see people not identifying as strictly, you know, one one gender or the other or one sexual preference because it's not it's not a binary type of thing necessarily. And, you know, I think more and more as as we kind of learn about these things that the that that sexual preference is not an either or necessarily thing for a lot of people. And it can change over time, certainly. And I think by forcing people into these boxes and by saying that, well, these kind of conversations are taboo for for young kids, we're, we're sending a certain message there that this is, in fact, deviant and something that we shouldn't be talking about. And that that's really my concern. Well, me again, I want to come back to the fact, and I think Jay is rightful to point out, okay, parents want to be and rightfully should be part of the conversation about what their children are doing. But again, that's the fundamental issue that we face when you have state education provided through the mechanism that we do. And that means that there will always be moral winners and moral losers in schools. And those moral winners and losers will depend on your in your particular location so you're either going to slice it up by state you're going to slice it up more locally but you're going to have winners you're going to have moral losers uh, and so we're going to have this kind of argument about well who ought to be winning who could be winning uh, because again you have to pick a side uh, because you know jay was saying a second ago well you know maybe there's a way to kind of be neutral about it but as an ed- educator myself i don't think that's possible i mean education itself is embedded with normative values. Uh, and so I'm sure there are individuals who wouldn't want to come to my university because we have embedded normative values that are not everyone's normative value. And that's fair and that's okay. That's part of the marketplace of ideas. Um, but the difference is, of course, is I'm not coercing anybody to have to meet my particular standards. So I think from this point, we can move into the next part of our discussion, which is the reaction of Disney. Uh, and as well as the reaction of Florida to the reaction of Disney. Now, last week, Jay made the case that Disney was, in, in his sort of baseball analogy, throwing at the hitter by not opposing the legislation as it went through the process by staying silent, but only coming out against it after the fact, which in effect sort of blindsided Florida Republicans. And it seems to me that it's hard to convincingly dispute the first part of that narrative. Uh, Disney was absolutely initially silent on that legislation, and it only came out against it after pretty significant pressure from employees who did a, a walkout and, and also as well as uh, LGBTQ plus groups. I mean, Disney's CEO actually wrote an open letter admitting this. Uh, this is on March 11th. This was several days after the law was or after, sorry, after the measure was passed by Florida's legislature and then went to DeSantis for a signature. But what I think here is less clear is this idea that because Disney chose not to exercise its First Amendment rights until after the law had been sent to DeSantis, that it was somehow being underhanded and that the company doesn't have the right to change its position in response to whatever pressures might be brought to bear on it. So I guess, Jay, I wanted to start with that. 
because I'm having trouble accepting this analogy of it somehow being against the unwritten rules to change your mind about something and that be rising to the level of uh, inviting retaliation. So, so maybe you can kind of talk about that a little bit. Yes. Um, there are uh, unwritten rules in, in the, the legislative game. Uh, and most lobbyists would tell you um, the most important thing they have is, is their word. Their word is their bond. And this, this sounds crazy, right? That, that you know, these lobby, lobbyists are ethical and so forth. And, you know, is their honor among thieves and so forth. Um, but it matters because it matters to, to politicians, lawmakers who can go to someone, either whether it's a company, whether it's an industry group, uh, whatever, and say, what's your position on this? And they say, we're okay with it or we're against it. Uh, and then the lawmaker will go and and do what they they do because look that's isn't that the job of of the lawmaker is is to um, seek out where these people are especially if it's an important constituency like your state's largest employer uh, uh, and a, a sort of cultural force on its own um, uh, that has been vocal on these type of issues before um, uh, if you could ask Gina Carano about that um, it it would make sense that. Listen, you you go and ask them, where are you on this? Are you okay with this? Uh, yeah, if you yeah, have I, I get no response that. Or or a uh, then then. So, so but what? I'm saying you're you're restating your argument, and that's fine. But yeah. my point is, maybe, maybe I wasn't clear in my point. What I'm saying is that certainly Disney uh, Disney, I'm sure there were conversations, and Disney said, no, we're we're sitting this one out. And the uh, Florida Republicans said, okay, good to know. We're we're plowing ahead then. Uh, but well, I guess what I'm saying is. Isn't it, I mean, can't, isn't it wrong or not wrong necessarily? Uh, isn't it understandable that Disney would change its position in response to, well, it's, it's constituencies, just like how politicians change their positions in response to pressures from their constituencies. I mean, don't corporations have that same right? I mean, certainly Disney said, you know, I, I'm sure they didn't say, well, for, for now and for all time in perpetuity, we will always stand with you on this. It's like, I'm sure it was more a case of no, we're sitting this one out. But it's not like it's not like they can't change their. I guess that's the part of it that I know. Yeah, absolutely, they can change their mind. Um, but if they do that, <laughs> then they have to understand they are they are breaking the the unwritten rules, uh, and and they should they should expect consequences for it. Well, in in, hmm. in in terms of what the how the unwritten rules work with the unwritten and rule, that, I think you're wrong that, on the unwritten rule. Look, we're going to hurt you in, in second. We're never we're not going to trust you guys again, or at least not for a while. No, the, I think you're wrong. You're I think you're actually wrong on the unwritten rule part of it. You're misinterpreting it. Now, if Disney had disingenuously said at the time, well, no, we're sitting this one out and then just waited and sandbag Florida saying, oh, we're just going to get them on the on the back end. That would be violating the unwritten rule. But this is more just like a pitch just slipping out of, a, 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 you know, the pitcher's hand and, and hitting a guy or something like that. So it's not like they intended to sandbag them. The reality, the, the actual political reality shifted. And so they shifted. And so but but even if I grant but, but you that's but that's it, in in the real world, that's the same thing. And in, intent it's doesn't not. matter. Sure, intent but matters. It's sort of you said um, uh, you were you were with us, uh, and then you came. Well, I, I changed my mind. Well, if intent doesn't um, matter, Jay, then it's like saying in baseball, there's no difference between 
intentionally throwing at a batter and having a pitch slip and having you hit a batter. And you no, certainly no, wouldn't. No, here, here's the difference, right? I guess, let me put it this way. Um, the violation, the, the throwing at the pitcher uh, is when they change their mind, after they've already said, um, because because what you what it, it it's sort of a speak now or forever hold your peace, right? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah you know, that's ridiculous. Through, okay, I, look, this is this is why I'm on the show, right? To try to give you a sense of how the uh, you know sausage is actually made. Okay, and, you know, yeah, I'm going to push you, back on that. Have, before you go on, before you go on, I, I, I'm just going to say I fundamentally disagree and object to this notion that my position comes from a place of naivete about how legislation works. And you've you've argued that before. This poor Mike in his ivory tower, essentially, he doesn't wow. get how the world works. And I totally get how this works. I'm just saying that it's that it's wrong that I, I'm not I'm not arguing that this isn't how it's being done. I'm saying that I'm making a moral, I'm making an ethical argument. And I'll also in a minute, I'll make a constitutional argument. Uh, so, so let's let's put that aside right now. Uh, uh, this idea that I'm that I'm just this okay. naive academic who doesn't understand that that politics is hardball. That's just uh, that's just fundamentally wrong. So maybe maybe you can stipulate to that that I am not. You know, suggesting that oh my gosh, this is horrible that people are playing hardball. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not suggesting that. Okay. What I'm, it what I'm saying is, listen, when when a a a a, a person, entity, company in in this legislative setting goes back on its word, um, the motives don't don't so much matter. It, and it's it's sort of that's that's what's sort of unethical, right, to me, right? And, and it's sort of like saying, well. Uh, you guys were okay with this uh, a week ago, and like, well, yeah, but that's before there was any pressure on us. You know what I mean? That's, that's sort of like, well, well, you know, why do we bother talking to you in the first place then? Uh, if it's a matter of, uh, well, you're fine unless someone else objects. Uh, secondly, I, I get into this just the, the weirdness, right, of um, Floridians uh, or Disney employees or whoever. Uh, walking out on their company because their company doesn't take a strong enough position on certain legislation, um, and to me that that's that's mind-boggling. Why uh, there there's there's plenty of uh, legislative acts that uh, happen at the state and federal level that I'm not crazy about, but uh, it would never occur to me to to uh, uh, you know tell my employer you have to do something about this. Uh, it's, it's sort of the, again, this is a consequence of sort of our bizarre woke world, um, uh, that, uh, that now all of a sudden we, we expect our employers to carry political messages for us. And I think if, I think the, the response that Disney should have had when its employees were upset, uh, would be to say, listen, we, uh, we understand that, uh, some of our employees may be upset and we fully support their right to speak out against this and uh, contact their state legislators or the governor or, or, or whoever. Right. And you just, can I interject? For just hey, I was going to ask you because Jay and I have kind of come back and forth. Go ahead, please. No, it's all good. You guys are having a good conversation. I didn't want to, but you know, one of the things that you, that was said there was, well, I guess there's two things, but one was you were saying, well, why, why suddenly would employers want to kind of involve themselves in the process? But I mean, corporate lobbying is old. I mean, uh, I mean, a matter of fact, I mean, it, it, how many decades now has it uh, outweighed every other form of uh, lobbying when you no matter how you measure it? I, I mean, I don't know if 
corporate lobbying is somehow some kind of new wokeism. Uh, it's just that corporations have decided to lobby for different things at different times. No, no, uh, I'm so, sorry, Trent. Tra- the, the new wokeism isn't the corporate lobbying. The corporate lobbying, the corporate lobbyists said there's no problem with this. The wokeism uh, came from um, the idea that, that workers, we have to do workers something put pressure from, on their company. Yeah. But I mean, okay, so if if I recognize that I can get my okay, I already know I'm a, I'm I'm a, I'm an employee for Disney. I know that Disney lobbies, and I know that they have a ton of power in my state. It would be really weird to think, oh, I'm not going to lobby. I mean, I'd have to be really dumb, in other words, to say, oh, hmm, I could pull this particular level, i.e., get my particular corporation that has massive amounts of lobbying influence to take my position. Or me, Joe Smo, the person who nobody cares about, can go down to, uh, you can go up to Tallahassee and tell him to do it. I guess, I mean, I don't understand why that, that's wokeism. I mean, I, I just, that just seems like a natural extension of the fact that individuals who are parts of uh, corporations who do most of the lobbying can now have the ability to affect their company's lobbying. Yep. So, I mean, I, I'm going to agree with Jay there. on this. I, I, I'm going to agree with Jay on almost nothing. On this, uh, this issue, but Jay, I will agree with you on this particular aspect. I think you're right. I think it's. It seems to me absolutely the case that while Trey, you're right that certainly corporate lobbying dwarfs all other forms of lobbying. The sort of lobbying that we've been seeing on part on behalf of of cultural issues that are really not related to the core business of the company, right? This don't say gay bill. I mean, this is, it's not like it's tied in with anything directly to Disney and its interest in, you know, increasing shareholder value, that sort of thing. So I think that absolutely is a new thing. Uh, And so Jake, you know, you're right on that, but I don't necessarily see it as being, you know, necessarily wrong. Certainly, uh, individuals have always been able to to do this sort of thing. They haven't in the past for various reasons, and it is a new thing. And and so, uh, but uh, to me, then the question but no, is: but, but empirically, uh, Mike, I mean, empirically, isn't that going to be part of the reason? I mean, again, I am not an interest group specialist, although I attempt to keep up with this. But it seems to me that it's it's a natural hypothesis working its way through the science in the sense that once upon a time. Uh, the the outlets for working workers lobbies uh, would have been labor unions, yeah. and that simply isn't the case anymore. And so today, what you see effectively is worker groups lobbying their corporations to then lobby things. Uh, so I, mean, I guess but, yes, new, but maybe not surprising. Okay, yeah. But, but Trey, my that. my point is that what Disney did after the bill passed. Uh, uh, the, the statements that that that's not lobbying. Um, lobbying is when the bill is is proceeding through committee. You you call up the drafters and you say, "Listen, we are some of our employees have concerns. Um, uh, you know, could we could we tweak the language to fix this and this?" Or or you say, "Listen, a lot of our employees have your have our concerns. I, I want to let you know uh, we can't be for this. Uh, we are against it." I'll, I'll disagree uh, with that. Isn't just then then lobbing the bomb afterwards and saying this is an affront to basic civil, basic human rights. No, that that's, that that lobbying, is a form means, of lobbying. It can be sometimes. Yeah, it's I a mean, form of oh, grassroots. Sorry, lo- uh, it's Mike. a form of grassroots lobbying. I mean, lobbying is certainly Jay. You're right. That's one form of lobbying. That kind of behind the screen, the behind the scenes in the corridors of power sort of thing. But there are uh, lobbying is really any 
attempt to influence the position of policymakers. And so that might not be traditional old school kind of working it out behind the scenes lobbying, but absolutely is lobbying. Go ahead, Trey. Sorry. I was, let's go back to an actual example. I was thinking of like Microsoft. Uh, so if you, if you go historically back and take a look at Microsoft, Microsoft was one of the few uh, early tech companies that's lobbying dollars ranked somewhere around zero. Uh, and then uh, we have a bunch of antitrust and uh, legislation passed uh, that harms Microsoft. And during the process of the making of those bills, Microsoft basically said, eh, we're going to sit this one out. Uh, and, and then it came down in a way that was very negative. And this is more traditional in this sense, right? They're like, listen, you gotta, you're going to have to pull uh, Internet Explorer and other things out of this. You're a monopoly. Then suddenly Microsoft goes, you know what? Actually, we have a position on this stuff. Uh, and, and today they are one of, you know, one of the biggest <laughs> tech lobbyist groups uh, in the United States. And that therefore, and after the fact, made some radical changes to the way. As a matter of fact, if it was not for the Microsoft lobbying, you would not have been able to have the Amazon and Apples that we have today. <laughs> uh, ironically, you know, it, but. So there, there would be an, there's like a real world example of where you have a company saying, eh, you know, whatever on this particular, that's the federal level, of course, eh, whatever, uh, you know, do with it what you will. And then afterwards goes, uh, maybe not, maybe not, maybe we should lobby a little bit more about this. Right. Well, what Trey, I think what Trey's describing, and this is what the a phrase that a lot of lobbyists I know use, and this was Microsoft's problem, um, because in drafting those bills, its competitors were all playing the games, its competitors were making political contributions. Uh, significant political contributions, and Microsoft thought it didn't have to. And and the lesson there is, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Yeah, right. And that, no, that's actually, the yeah. way, yeah. I, again, that's... And so. this is why I'm a libertarian. Continue. <laughs> well, before before we get to that continue part, I think let's, let's, Trey, that's one of the things that you mentioned, I think, in the, in the, either the Slack or the Discord. And so, and that's why I'm a libertarian. Could you kind of expand on that? Because I think that's an important point here. Yeah, I mean, I know that oftentimes we libertarians, we get branded as like these, the crazy anti-statists. But I think, I, I, I think at a more fundamental level, it's this kind of thing where we have the most to offer, which is to say, look, do we really want to, do we really want to live in a world where and gee, I think you're right. So don't get me wrong. This is this is not a critique, right? You know, where if you're not lobbying, then y you you are the menu, right? Yeah. Is that is that any kind of real market system that we want to live inside of? And, and, and so for me as a libertarian, and again, this kind of goes back to what we were having a conversation with when it came to the don't say gay bill, right? There are so many different visions of what the good life looks like, uh, and yet we want to in all these different ways constrain people's ability to do it because we don't particularly like it and we want to make these rules what what does it matter right so okay here in this particular instance you know disney gets all of these special statuses why because a bunch of uh, uh, a, a bunch of state politicians thought it would uh, help them out financially uh, if they did this for disney and now because they think it's going to lose them some wokeness points they're going to go the other direction shocking absolutely shocking that when you let little petty tyrants have this ability that they'll they'll eat your lunch and or eat you for lunch in this case i, I so jay i agree with you on that front but it, it's an example of kind of the the problems with having capitalism as opposed to true free market libertarianism okay you know let's let's also talk about the 
First Amendment issue here? Because I think that's in another component of this we haven't really quite gotten to yet. Uh, it, it seems to me and to a lot of folks that this is an example of government using its power to chill speech that it doesn't agree with, more specifically speech that criticizes government action. And, you know, I think, Jay, you argued last week that it's one thing to deny somebody or some company a benefit that's kind of broadly available because of its speech, but it's something very different, uh, revoking a special benefit only given to a specific uh, entity because of its speech. Is that a more or less a fair characterization? Of kind of yeah, and, and I also would draw a distinction between executive and regulatory actions versus legislative actions. Okay, and um, being that I, legislative would have more legitimacy in some way. Yeah, um, in that, you know, listen, um, legislative actions by their nature are, are, you know, corporate, right? You have all kinds of people voting for all different reasons. Um it is more difficult to assign a, a motive. Now, do I think that the motive here was retaliatory and, and they're mad because Disney did this, poked him in the eye? Yes, absolutely. Um, but of all those people who voted, there may have been uh, some legislators who are like, you know, I never liked this special uh, district status stuff anyway. Uh, you know, I think the corporations get too much, too many tax breaks. You know, this is corporate welfare. Um, uh, you know, the rise of Skywalker sucked. Um, I mean, there could be there could be all sorts of reasons um, where you could say, I'm going to stick it to Disney. Um, and and the, the case law on this in terms of 1983 violations, right, in, in terms of bringing a civil rights violation against some government actor, um, there is essentially a, a legislative immunity to that uh, for, for that very reason. And, and the, the question the court looks at was, look, we don't we don't care what the motive of the legislature was. Uh, what we care about is this an actual legitimate legislative uh, uh, decision, um, as opposed to like a, a bill of attainder, in which in which case the legislature is sort of acting as like judge and jury, and there's sort of that which is a, a different thing. But um, so so that's I mean that's that's my sense of it is that um, you know also the legislature has a, a, a duty to respond to its. Uh, constituents, uh, the actual people. And if uh, those people are saying, hey, you know what, uh, if Disney's going to take this attitude uh, about an issue we care about, uh, we the people are going to take the attitude that maybe they're not entitled to the special status that they've received uh, all these years. And again, I, I would distinguish that from a uh, situation where, oh, we're going to single out uh, a certain company for regulatory, enhanced regulatory enforcement. Uh, that that type uh, thing, or even a certain industry. I should point out that Disney's Disney's status is is special in a sense, but there are something like eighteen hundred of these special tax districts in Florida, so it's not like it's a thing that was just done for Disney. Now the scope of Disney was a lot well, bigger because, of course, Disney is the state's largest employer, and they they but but it's not like this is this one time thing that was done just for Disney that you know has never been done before. It's been done literally you know uh, uh, over. Uh, nearly two thousand times before, and but I think that's for, an important not for a private corporation. Uh, I think that's that's the dis- no, it, all it's, sorts of it, yeah these, it, these special districts, right? Where you you create a special sewer district, you create a special um, uh, uh, you know whatever economic you know port authority district. 
Um, and and those those there there's enough problems with those to begin with, and that there's sort of a lack of of accountability and transparency in how they operate. Um, but it, but but they're still essentially public bodies. Uh, this you're taking a public body that is essentially run by a company. It, it's like a huge company town, um, uh, is what it is. And, and and look, I could even make a a decent argument uh, that. Disney is special because of this, because of how much land they own and all that they do. And um, I actually re- remember I, I took a trip there uh, back in this was oh probably twenty ten ish or something. But it was uh, when the um, well two thousand five I guess was the first one. But it was the Iraq War um, fallout, and uh, and my my thought was Disney should rebuild Iraq because. These guys make the trains run on time, and it is like their own government that they run, and they, they actually do it well. So I think there, you could make an argument that, that it's, it, it's not unreasonable on the merits that uh, they should be able to do this. But I think it's, it's one of those, if you live by that carve-out, then you, you die by that carve-out, too. And if you're, you're going to get involved this deeply, and, and Trey's, Trey's right uh, to, the, to some point exactly, that, that the, the better libertarian um, uh, position, and I'd say the conservative position, is that we don't get into making these special favors uh, for for anybody and, and have a, a, a freer market. Uh, what that does is one, it's it's more freedom for for competitors. Second, it you know your your company is not under the government's thumb uh, that you always have to rely on this special protection. Um, and and I think that's that's another bigger issue that the, the more regulated a company comes and 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 it goes also to the bigger question we talk about a lot about money and politics and i keep saying the, the way to get money out of politics is to get politics out of out of running businesses and you know I, that definitely is i would say an important but sort of separate issue but absolutely right from a libertarian perspective you say well should there be special tax districts well no <laughs> there sh- there shouldn't actually be these special corporate crony capitalism favors right now but but as to the as to the retaliation sort of thing, and Jay, I think you know you're right in pointing out that well, do we know that the leg- everyone in the legislature was doing this specifically to retaliate against Disney? No, but we I think we can. It's fair to say that when the governor at the signing ceremony basically says this is in retaliation, that there is a general you know. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I I'm I'm not I'm saying as a as a practical matter yeah. the way courts have looked at this is yeah. is that you don't look to legislative intent because. There could be hundreds of different legislative intents right. with each. Right. Now, now the closest that the Supreme Court has actually come to addressing this question was back in 1996. There's a case called O'Hare Truck Service versus City of Northside. And this was an instance where there was a towing company that was removed from kind of the rotation of companies that the city used for towing, towing in retaliation for a specific company publicly supporting the opponent of the city's mayor in a re-election campaign. Um, and so in a 7-2 decision, uh, Scalia and Thomas dissented, the court found that this constituted a violation of the company's freedom of speech. Now, right off, I should point out that this seems to fit much more into well, that. Whose freedom of speech, Mike? The, the, well, the company's freedom of speech. Now, that's a diff, that's a separate issue, certainly, but it has been established by the courts, right, that corporate entities have free speech rights. That's a separate issue, and we could talk about that. But given that that is that has that is now accepted point of law, certainly by the Supreme Court, let's follow on from that. So 
Now, I should say that right now that this that seems to fit into that category of things that's, well, a benefit that's available to a bunch of companies, but one company was excluded in retaliation. So maybe that's not directly on point. And that's a fair point to make. But when I read the decision, I felt like there were principles that apply pretty clearly to the Disney case. For instance, Justice Kennedy, who wrote for the court, uh, said that the city terminated a relationship that based on longstanding practice, he, and that's the owner of the company, had reason to believe would continue. We see nothing to distinguish this from the coercion exercised in our other unconstitutional conditions cases. And but why I think this applies is because certainly Disney had every reason to believe that this uh, special status that had been in place for over half a century, they had every reason to believe that would continue. Now, the court went on to say, respondents' theory, in essence, is that no justification is needed for their actions since government officials are entitled in the exercise of their political authority to sever relations with an outside contractor for any reason, including punishment for political opposition. Government officials may indeed terminate at-will relationships unmodified by any legal constraints without cause, but it does not follow that this decision can be exercised to impose conditions on expressing or not expressing specific political views. Now, that seems to me to be pretty directly on point here, Um, and that's basically what I was arguing last week. Uh, So, yeah, go ahead. Well, to, to come in here a little bit is to say, one potential problem with that, and I didn't take a look at that precedent, is right. The in this case, you're talking about a city, and the individual and the governing body that made that decision was which one, Mike? I'm not sure I'm getting this right. The, the governing body that made what decision? Sorry. The, in other words, that took him out of the rotation. Oh, that was that was the uh, the uh, the city. I guess that would be through an executive. Uh, I would guess it would be the yeah. The I, I, so I thought. Yeah. So it, I think it was through their like you know yeah. uh, you know, cities have. I'm blanking on that term. Um, city manager, or whatever. Um, I don't think that that would apply to the same way when you're talking about uh, a state legislature necessarily. Well, I, I, I understand. And that's, that's an important distinction to make. But it seems to me that the general principle, I mean, the court wrote that government officials may terminate at will relationships. And certainly I would say that a legislature is a gov- that government officials. That includes legislature. Now, now, correct me. If- I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. I thought you got but now, Jay, correct me if I'm wrong. I think in those in that terminology, when you talk about government officials, you're actually talking about kind of what, what we would think of at the national level as agency level officials, right. Right. not Executive. lawmaking yeah. officials. That, there's a distinction there legally. See, I, 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 I agree, certainly, with that technical distinction. But I think the general point that the court was making is that the state in general cannot just cannot just uh, take action specifically to retaliate against somebody who speaks out against the state. That to me is the, is the broader first amendment freedom. If I mean, if the first amendment is to mean anything, it means that people, uh, those who have first amendment free speech rights are free to speak out against the state without this threat of retaliation or coercion from the state. And that to me seems to be a bedrock principle that the state of Florida, that, that the Republican legislature and governor basically thumbed their nose at and just said, Hey, too bad. Politics is hardball and we're going to chill your free speeches much as we can. And to me, that's just repugnant to the First Amendment. So I guess, well, let me, I just want to touch real quick on um, uh, what was mentioned in the case, the unconstitutional um, 
uh, requirements uh, doctrine. Um, because there's a great amicus brief uh, that was filed with the Ohio Supreme Court not too long ago <laughs> on that topic. Um, unconstitutional. Who was the author? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the un- unconstitutional conditions doctrine uh, is essentially uh, it tends to, to arise in executive action, right? It is the um, um, uh, the case. Uh, so I'll, I'll give you in, in a real example. Actually, in this, it's the Sixth Circuit. I said Ohio Supreme Court, but um, so the city of Nashville uh, says, uh, okay, you know, if you want to build uh, something, um, you have to um, uh, get a building permit. And, you know, all right, fair enough. Um, and then um, uh, the city of Nashville says, you know what, we've got this thing where we're, we're trying to rebuild all the sidewalks in the city. Um, so if you want to uh, uh, build something, uh, you have to pay uh, for to build these other sidewalks in the city. And the, the owner says, well, wait a minute, why, why do I have to do that? Why is that a condition of, of my uh, receiving the building permit? The building permit should be based on these um, uh, uh, objective uh, criteria, right? Of is it, is it, you know, so far back from where it's supposed to be? Is it this much? Is it built with the, you know, the right specifications and meets code and all that kind of stuff? Not that, oh, oh are, will you also fund this other project that we're involved in? Um, and that's the kind of the kind of thing I think we're talking when you get into unconstitutional conditions. They tend to be uh, not on legislative acts, but but administrative permitting acts. Well, it's let me book. ask you this then. So, does that mean that the executive branch ha- doesn't have the right to retaliate against companies for exercising First Amendment rights, but the legislature does? Is that is that the theory here? In part, yeah. See, I, I mean, find again, that I find that to be about, untenable. Talk about yeah, retaliation. I think if you had um, uh, a legislative action um, uh, that that strips someone of of some other benefit to which uh, anyone would would otherwise be entitled to, right? That, that you're not that you're you're saying, listen, we are um, we're going to raise taxes on on just this company. Gotcha. Um, I, I think that's different, and I think then you get into like equal protection kind of claims, right? Uh, in addition to the First Amendment stuff. So then, well, I mean, one of our uh, executive producers, Ryan Beasley, he kind of tried to sum up a lot of what I was getting at. I guess he wrote uh, this: uh, regardless of party affiliation, regardless of historical precedent, and given that we can prove the motive, which in this case is quite evident, should politicians be allowed to pass laws in retaliation of a private company? that publicly disagrees with them and holds a legitimate stance on that controversial issue on behalf of their stakeholders. And your, your, your answer to that would be, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's, that, that's, that's pretty clear. And my answer what, what to that do, would be no. Do, uh, okay. What does Clea and uh, Thomas say in that dissent? You know, I, uh, I don't have the dissent in front of me, but I would expect I that it would be right. along those lines. So, so I would agree <laughs> with the, yeah, I, I would uh, certainly. So I, I guess. And the, and the idea is, look, I, I'm not saying it's, it's, um, uh, this is it's something good or it's something that they ought to do, right? Um, but uh, I, I can think of plenty of um, so so for example, uh, uh, California. Uh, and I think I don't know if they've done this legislatively or executively, but lots of cities of California have banned uh, people from you know their their government employees from traveling to conferences in whatever states that they have. There are, are voting laws that. Uh, they don't like um, uh, 
I mean, would I guess do you see there's that's in a sense uh, a type of retaliation. Now it's a type of retaliation against an outside entity, um, uh, but you could have retaliation against uh, other inside entities, and it's it's uh, I I think this this happens all the time is that the government does things to encourage or discourage certain behaviors, um, and uh, look, I I'm, I'm not I'm not saying that there aren't does it trouble me that uh, uh, the idea of, of government um, attempting uh, to chill speech against, against the government? Company, yeah, uh, yeah, for some of this. No, of course it, it it troubles me a little bit. Um, but I think I, I'm still viewing this more through the lens of of the unwritten rules of uh, of playing the game. Um, and uh, I gotcha. You know, so okay. So, you know, I should point, we should point out that the law that revokes Disney's status won't actually take effect until June of next year. And there are a number of people who are saying that, you know what, this is just kind of uh, the Florida's opening salvo, if you will, in this, the shot across the bow. And that in the end, they're not going to go ahead and impose what would be a pretty significant tax increase on the two uh, residents of the two counties affected. And they're going to find some sort of a behind the scenes sort of solution that will allow DeSantis to say, look, I struck a blow against corporate wokeism and allow, you know, Disney to not end up losing its status, maybe being changed in some way. Uh, I was wondering, what do you guys think about that? Trey? You know, <laughs> all of this disgusts me a little bit. So it's hard. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it is hard, I think, in this instance to make a reasonable empirical prediction because so much of it hinges on what actually happens with DeSantis's ability to run for president. And I'm not able to see into that crystal ball yet. I, I mean, anybody who says that they can is just lying. Yes, there. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, is that a plausible future scenario? Yes. What it hinges on, though, is, is DeSantis's realistic ability to run for presidency or not and so because of that i'm hesitant to make a prediction where i don't have enough evidence to to say something i think that's absolutely what will happen okay and I, <laughs> now I, I gotta say jay is we should point out right jay is generally not the person to take those very clear you know uh, uh make those kind of predictions and so that is an impressive thing and again i will we will end this particular story with me agreeing entirely with jay so i will point out these moments of agreement so yeah i think you're right i think you're right about that jay i, I don't think that that's uh it's not going to end up happening I which, just, which again that that's a little bit of why maybe i am less troubled by some of this other thing because i i see i view this like i said as as the through the prism of here are the un, unwritten rules of the game, and that's sure. that's what I see happening. And and I think though, from a little, and just one thing. Go ahead, Jay. That, uh, Trey, yeah. so I think sometimes this is one of the things that this is one. This really is one of the things that frustrates me is this idea that well, it will be okay. Like we don't have to worry about the pragmatics of it because oh, something, something, it'll all work its way out. <laughs> like I don't know. I just the idea that. Uh, this kind of the idea that there's these unwritten rules that we're going to do because we don't want to do it above board just bothers me. But I recognize that's a much broader conversation. No, Trey, Trey my, my, to some extent, my, um, I look at this as it's, it's almost more uh, an inertia kind of thing, right? I, I think it's 
it would be extraordinarily difficult for Florida to actually pull this off. Uh, there would be all kinds oh, of. Oh no, I, know. I wasn't suggesting and, and that you I, were I think advocating that's, that's for why it. I, yeah. Is saying, listen, I'm going to I'm going to do this, and it's it's just a threat. But I don't think he'll really follow through, and I think Disney realizes that. Uh, but he sent the message. I, exactly, but see, I guess here and here's where I start. I, I hear you, and so please, I wasn't trying to put any words in your mouth because you're right. Yeah, you know, on those fronts. What I'm suggesting, though, is is that those kinds, those kinds of patterns of behavior are dangerous because it only takes one person, Trump, who doesn't care about norms, Trump, to then drastically destroy those kinds of systems. And so maybe I'm particularly on edge about those kinds of things because anybody who wants to be like Trump, DeSantis, worries me on those kinds of fronts, which is maybe why I'm not quite as willing to make that prediction. Maybe. I don't know. Well, yeah, I think we had a really great discussion on this, and uh, I, I should be congratulated for inviting Trey to join us because I think he added, uh, you added a lot to this, Trey. So uh, uh, that's Thank you. great. Yeah, no, it's gone on for quite a while. And so, in effect, this is this is the the end of our uh regular sorry uh rent end of our ad supported uh, uh edition we're going to live a lot more to talk about though for our politics guys supporters on that part we're going to talk about elon musk buying twitter another thing i definitely wanted to get trey's viewpoint on eager to hear that rushing ukraine a title 42 thing maybe depending on time permitting now a uh, supreme court and religious expression i think our uniquely stupid last decade might have to wait one more week or two more weeks but anyway if you're a politics guy supporter all of that's coming right up in a second if you're not you can get full episodes by becoming a supporter. Go to patreon.com slash politics guys. You can also support us through Venmo or at politics guys, as well as through PayPal. You can find support links in the show notes and at politicsguys.com slash support. And if you just uh, are not in a position to be able to financially support the show, but you'd like to hear about all of the stuff we talk about every week, just send me an email, mike at politicsguys.com. I will be happy to get you set up with all of that. Whether you're a supporter or not, we'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe, rate the show, and leave reviews on whatever podcast app you use, and also share episodes on social media. Thanks so much.